Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good afternoon. Uh, this is Trey, and I'm here with Thaddeus. Steph's over in Brenham today, so um, we'll be having a very exciting interview today. I'm so excited about this. We're going to be talking about why we're Catholic, our reasons for faith, hope, and love by Trent Horn, and Trent Horn's actually here with us. But let us um, begin with our prayer. Do our prayer first. Yeah, okay. okay. In the name of the Father, Father and the Son, Son and, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Through your Son, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become, to, for each successive generation, a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray, pray for, for us. St. John Paul II, pray, pray for, for us. us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so I, I'm very excited to have uh, Trent Horn on, and we're going to welcome him here and um, talk about talk about his new book and uh, how it might apply for us as, as parents as we try to raise our kids. Hey, Trent, uh, welcome aboard. Happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I was really excited about this as I as I read through it. I saw so many applications, but I, I I've, like I said, I I listen to you frequently on Catholic Answers, and so I, I'm at least familiar with your voice and and your thought process. But I, I wanted to let the those who haven't uh, maybe not aware of who you are um, for you to introduce yourself and and uh, a little bit about the book just on the front end. Sure. Uh, well, I am a staff apologist for Catholic Answers, which is an apostolate dedicated to explaining and defending the Catholic faith. So I, I serve the apostolate by giving public presentations and engaging in moderated debates on issues related to the Catholic faith. I write magazine articles and books and engage in radio outreach to continue in my part in explaining what the Church teaches and also defending what it teaches against criticisms from those who disagree with the church. So uh, that's essentially myself. I'm married. I have two children. I, while Catholic Answers is in San Diego, uh, I work remotely in Phoenix, Arizona. And I wrote the book, Why We're Catholic, because I always get requests from people saying, is there a good book that I can give to my son who doesn't go to Mass anymore, or my coworker who has questions about the Catholic faith, or for you know things like that? And so I wanted to write a book that was charitable, written in a tone that even a non-Catholic can read it and appreciate it, widely accessible, simple, brief, but also covered a wide array of topics about the Catholic faith. And, and that essentially ended up becoming why we're Catholic. And I, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head, I think. It's exactly what, you, what you've targeted doing in, in, in my reading of it. Um, exceptional. And it's so it's one of the things that just jumped out at me was I would, had just gotten a, uh, through a conversation with my son who's 17 was working with the Protestant at a place and, and he had, uh, the summer and he came home and was talking about the argument against the existence of God. And I mean, literally I read the next day I read, I read hmm. that just accidentally or providentially. So I think that for every parent, I think it's a, uh, it's a great tool to have because you do address the spectrum of the questions that have. So I think you've accomplished that. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you so much. And as I said, 
this book, while you can get, I wrote it so that you could either give it to a non-Catholic, a Protestant, or an atheist, whoever it may be, and it's written for them to read, just, hey, here are the reasons, you know, uh, see what you think of them. Or a Catholic can read the book and learn how to articulate these reasons and present them to people in a persuasive and gracious way. And so that's ultimately my goal, and that's why uh, the book is available also in bulk orders. That at Catholic Answers, we offer the book in cases of 20 mm-hmm. for $60. Uh, that comes out to about $3 a book. And I know people, even individuals, who buy cases of it and leave it in taxi cabs and Ubers. Or yeah. the, a lot of people enjoy just they see the cover and they like to pick it up and start flipping through it. Do uh, so. It just the best way to go is through Catholic.com to get the to get those orders, or is there some other way to do it? Uh, just, yes, uh, there's different online book re- retailers one could go to. Okay. But if you wanted to order the book in bulk, you would go to shop.catholic.com, and Fantastic. yeah, you can order uh, twenty for sixty dollars, three dollars a book. Uh, so it makes it great to use for homeschool groups, uh, for men's and women's groups, Knights of Columbus. Uh, local Catholic high schools, and I hope that people will buy them and, with the permission of their pastor, have them available for distribution uh, in the vestibule of their church, especially during uh, holy days like Christmas and Easter, when a right. lot of people will come to church you know, out of ritual or tradition and could really use a book to read like Why We're Catholic. Yeah, I think I think Why We're Catholic is, is perfect for that because it does. Now, have you seen, one of the things that struck me was as I'm reading through this, and maybe this is part of what you see as well, for me individually, there are, there are ones that I'm drawn to and then there's ones that I get questions of, but I've never, like for the existence of God, for whatever reason, that never was a question that I, that I asked. But then I get a question from my son or an argument against the existence of God, and I find that, well, it's great to have a tool like this. It's not something I really dug in deeply because it's not something that really, you know, really I struggled with. But there are other things in here, sexuality, for example, and other that, that are things that are that have were things that I struggled with or things that I needed to uh, do. So I see it as something both in terms of kind of buffeting or strengthening your own faith and, and understanding how they articulate it, but then also being able to address some things that maybe are the entry point for somebody else that may not have been something that really was part of your own conversion. Are you, do you see that as being how people are receiving it? Yeah, I would say so, that if you read Why We're Catholic, just like as if you read any book about the faith, but especially in my book, Why We're Catholic, I think a Catholic will come across one of three types of subjects that will be the subject that they're very comfortable with, they wholeheartedly agree, and they're capable of explaining that to other people. So they may say, yeah, I understand that truth is objective. The very first chapter of the book is why we believe in truth and objective morality. I believe in that, and I can tell people relativism doesn't make any sense. Like, how can it be true that there is no truth? So there'll be things people agree with and they're comfortable explaining to others. Uh, Then there may be things you read that while you agree, like I agree God is a trinity, or you know I agree Mary was immaculately conceived, when you're in the position of trying to explain it to other people, you may sometimes be at a loss for words. And so the book can help to give you those words and give you a framework for how to explain things that you may wholeheartedly agree with, but when you're trying to articulate it to others, you know, trying to find the right words to use. And finally, for, for many Catholics, there may be doctrines that they even have some difficulty accepting for themselves, such as the existence of hell or the wrongness of sexual activity outside of marriage, that they, they go to Mass, they're, they're Catholic, but you know they get a little queasy about some of these teachings they don't wholeheartedly accept, and so it can be helpful for them to hear that teaching in a different light. Yeah, and I think it, you're, you're dead on again on that, but I think that, I think that one of the things that, that struck me with, with this is it provides you with some, I don't know if ammunition is the right word, but as a parent, you know, I love your examples. There are examples that I didn't, you know, I have my master's in theological studies. There are examples that I haven't. There are very kind of today type of examples to help with my own understanding. But, you know, part of the issue is not, I mean, obviously, if you, if you don't understand it well enough to explain it, then you probably don't understand it as well. But at the same time, sometimes you need, you need some extra help or some, another way to kind of frame it for somebody else. And I found that your book did great, and I and I think for parents that that is a big help because it's very readable, very accessible. It's not 
you don't have to have a master's in theology or anything like that to, to understand it. And it's anyway, I, I, your comments on, I mean, obviously you wrote this from the perspective of, of probably dealing with other people, but how parents might be able to use it. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I think that uh, parents, you know, have the unenviable task of confronting the world through the lens of what their children see. So it's not even just what the world's attacks and criticisms of the faith, but they're channeled through the questions or the arguments that a son or daughter is going to put towards them. And it's hard, especially for older children who want to have their own sense of identity. Uh, I, you know, they'll say, I don't want to believe in something just because mom or dad believes in it. And so that's why I wrote the book. And I think that for many parents, they could say, you know, I'm going to buy a few copies of this book. And why don't you read it? Tell me what you think. And we can have a conversation about some of these examples. Because I try hard with these theological truths to use analogies, to use examples that are commonplace for someone to say, okay, yeah, I get that. That makes sense. Uh, and then that, so parents can have that kind of framework to kind of say, hey, I'm not here to tell you, you know, you got to believe this or else, but why don't you read this, see what you think, and we could talk about what you thought about it. In fact, I know two people. One uh, friend gave the book to a 15, her 15-year-old sister, and she just hasn't been able to put it down. And another one of my friends, his 10-year-old son, just picked up the book, and he just kind of flipped through it. And part of that is I think it's helpful even for young you know, middle school, high school students to read Why We're Catholic, I tried hard to make it readable so that the chapters are short and only yeah. about five or six pages long, and there's good formatting to keep someone interested in flipping through. Yeah, and I'm, I know Patty's had something, but to, to reiterate that point, the the uh, the chapters are very accessible. So for, for a person who may say, well, I don't want to read that, I mean, if you handed them, you know, uh, uh, another book, they might go, this is too daunting. But really... You can sit down and read it in a short in short order and have some kind of diving into or stepping off of place with the person you're dealing with, in particular a child. So th- that is uh, to your credit. But I think Thaddeus had, had a comment, too, as well. Yeah, so Trent, obviously this is a work of apologetics. It's a work of uh, reasons and, and arguments for the head. But you start off with a, the book with a great example of— <laughs> you are given an unenviable task by a, a, some family friends to uh, try to do apologetics on their, their son, correct? And you, you yes. use that example. I, what I took it as is you, you put right up front that it's not just a question of the head. It's also the heart, and it's also respecting the dignity of the person whose soul you're trying to um, save for lack of a better word. Um, right. How does... Not exactly. So at the very beginning of the book, in the yeah. introduction, I tell that story about a some family friends asked me, can you talk to our son? Because uh, he went to college, now he's an atheist, and he, he, he you know doesn't want to go to Mass anymore with us. And so they arranged for us to have lunch together. And I was just really dreading this and not looking forward to I can't it. can't imagine why. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Because, I mean... It's hard to think of the prospects of success, you know, being high, and you know, and I and I could and I can see this from the son's perspective. He was not very interested in wanting to talk to me because who am I? I'm just some hired intellectual gun his parents brought in to try to deprogram him, essentially. <laughs> so we don't have any rapport or a relationship of trust. I'm just this apologist. So I tried to tell him, look, I'm not here to convert you today. Let's have a conversation. I'm going to ask you questions about what you believe, and you can do the same for me to create that, that dialogue and that willingness to question one another's beliefs, to mutually search for the truth, and to show that you're not out. The Holy Spirit is the one who converts people's hearts. We plant seeds, and uh, that's our job in you know, refuting arguments and dialoguing with people is to plant those seeds for God to bring forth spiritual fruit from. Uh, but the other reason I also put that story in the beginning is a, a, a dual reason, is that suppose, I, I'm hoping this book will be given to atheists, given to Protestants, and they may react to the book with some skepticism, you know, say, well, I don't want to just try to be converted here from you in this book. And so that's the other reason I called the book Why We're Catholic, not something like Why You Should Be Catholic. Mm-hmm. And it's just, here's why we're Catholic. And so if an atheist picks up the book or a Protestant and reads that very first story, they can identify with the young man I had lunch with who feels like I'm just this intellectual hired gun. No, I'm a human being that cares about my 
fellow human beings. I want to lead them to the truth. And here are those reasons. And you're, you're hopefully a rational person and you will consider them and be open your heart to how God wants to reveal himself to you mm-hmm. through the reasons that have been given. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm presently a father of much younger children, but I can see this story at the beginning of the book is also good food for thought for parents to understand that we have to let our children ask us questions about the faith. We have to respect the questions that they ask, and we have to try to on, you know, answer them honestly and thoroughly and, um, and not simply never tell them that that's not a good question or why are you asking me that? That's right. And, that's, and what's hard is sometimes as parents, and, and my children, uh, they don't ask hard theological questions yet. My, my son just always wants to know uh, where his Lightning McQueen race car is. <laughs> important <laughs> stuff. Oh, that, that's good. That's good. That's a, yeah, that's really important. Uh, but it's still important. He understands. I'm like, all right, I will go to Target at 10 p.m. I'm sure they got another one there. <laughs> but eventually he'll, he'll get older. Even five- and six-year-olds will ask very tough questions yeah. about um, God and yeah. uh, I mean, my, my son, when he goes to Mass, he sees that Jesus has an owie. I'm sure in a year or two, he's going to ask, why does Jesus have an owie, right. you know, when he's on the crucifix? Mm-hmm. Why, why did that happen? And we can, you know, it's, as I said before, you can know something internally, and then when you try to explain it, you know, you're, you're at a loss for words, especially to accommodate it. Uh, you know, you can understand how to explain something maybe to an adult. But then how do you explain that to a five- or six-year-old? How do you explain it to a 10-year-old? And so what I tried to do in Why We're Catholic is just find the, the, the most common, basic-level way of explaining these theological truths without watering them down by using everyday examples and showing uh, how they explain things like how God can become man or God is a trinity or why he would establish a church and, and things like that so, so that parents can have these kind of handholds and these tools to be able to share the faith and instruct the faith to their children, because as the Church teaches, parents are the primary instructors of the faith to their children, and it's just unfortunate if they haven't been instructed that, you know, we have to learn it for ourselves, and then we pass it on to our children. Right, and it's one of those, um, as a parent, I, I find that when I grew up, and even earlier on in my parenting, kind of go to the, you know, born and raised cradle Catholic parent, you know, well, that's what the church teaches. Just say yes and be quiet. And there tends to be that, there tends to be that thinking, at least that's kind of how I agree. You get defensive. You, you don't see it as a dialogue or an engagement. And I think, unfortunately, I think even my kids and others receive it that way. And we've always talked about on the show about the need to try to foster dialogue by, by allowing them to question anything. And I didn't learn this till much later, but it was when my oldest son, who's now, you know, graduated, starting his own job. He, he started to challenge, well, why do we believe what we believe? And, right. and he was trying to push a button. I knew him and I knew the situation. Yeah. He was trying to get under my skin. And I remember the Holy Spirit moment or whatever, just saying, well, you know, it's, it's not really important what I believe. What really is important for you in particular is what do you believe and why do you believe it? And I found that that diffused the situation, but you have to be more patient that way, I guess. Is that what, I mean? Sure. And, and I think something that happens with, with parents and their children, and for, with anyone really, is that when our, a child might challenge us with a question on the faith and we don't know the answer at that moment, we might become defensive and insecure and a little upset that we don't know the answer. And so we respond with anger, you know, saying, well, why are you asking that? Or you know, that, that's, a, that's a dumb question, or why, why would you even want to ask something like that as a way to deflect from the fact that we, we don't know the answer to the question we wish we did. So right. at that point, you know, it's better with a child to be humble and say, you know, I'm not really sure what the best answer is to that, but I'd like to find out. So why don't we find out together mm-hmm. and to let them know, yeah, I don't know everything. I know enough to trust in the faith that of the church and what God has given us, but I'm still learning too. And to have that kind of an attitude that that truth is a, a journey we're walking towards or dialoguing right. together and to not have that kind of defensive, dismissive attitude when we don't know. It's, oh, when you don't know, it's okay to say, you don't even have to say, I don't know. Just say, I'm not sure how to give you the best answer right, right now that's a, because that's a very good question. So let me look into it a little bit more. And that buys you time and your child sees you're willing to invest in 
their concerns and their questions and their education. And I think that's a much better approach. Right. And it's important to follow through on that too, because sometimes you can deflect, you can deflect it and that not ever do it. I think, I think while we're Catholic on so many issues that I think I know that I would probably struggle with trying to make it accessible to our children provides real questions from real people that you provide real answers that are accessible. And I, and that was helpful to me, but I think that one of the things that you kind of threw that story at the beginning show is something that we as parents need to really foster ourselves in ourselves is a willingness to actually listen to questions and accept them and then recognize that, Hey, this may be the opportunity to number one, show them that, well, maybe I, maybe I'm not as familiar with something as I should, but there's a place to go. That's part of the journey too, right? There's a place I can go to the church, go to the catechism. I can go to why we're Catholic or something and be able to uh, work on this with you together. That's a modeling as well. It's not like mom yeah. or dad knows everything, you know, and, and, and when they can't, when I can stump them, then I can show that they don't know anything. Um, yeah. And it's a good way to point back to them and turn the tables to say, you know, if you have a worldview like atheism or whatever your worldview might be, uh, I could start asking you questions and say, well, why do you believe this? How do you know that this is true? Uh, what about this? And it'd be easy to stump your own child and what they think. And, and they would react with similar defensiveness and say, I'm not going to do that to you because if you believe something, I'm fine giving you space to research it and present me your reasons. And then we, we continue the dialogue. So uh, but yeah, going, being able to have those different resources for us as Catholics to go to, and that's really the mission of Catholic Answers, right. is to be able to articulate what the Church teaches. Because we have things like the Catechism, Scripture, uh, encyclicals, and what we've tried to do at Catholic Answers is synthesize those teachings so that you can go to our website at catholic.com, listen to Catholic Answers live, and hear those clear, concise answers that are backed by the uh, faithful adherence to the magisterium of the Church. And what I try to do in Why We're Catholic is the same, that what I'm presenting is not just my opinion, uh, nor is it all the reasons I'm Catholic, but here are the reasons people are Catholic, the common ones, here is what the Church teaches on these subjects, and here is why it's reasonable and good to believe it. Right. Yeah, Trent, so I'm curious, were there were there some chapters that you uh, that were easier for you to write in terms of how you how you constructed them to to be accessible and to be readable, or were there were there others that were topics that you boy you really had to noodle through about um, how to put them in this this format that you created? Speak on that for a little bit. Sure, uh, there were some topics that were easier to write about because I, I've written about them before. I mean, I wrote a whole book on abortion, so mm-hmm. I had a chapter on why we protect life, which is you right. know so that that subject is very close and near and dear to me. So it's easy for me to write a a chapter on that. Uh, for other subjects, though, the difficulty is actually, that, as I said before, the chapters in the book are very brief. Uh, they're only about five or six pages long. That translates to about 1,800 words, which is a moderate blog post. Mm-hmm. And some topics, like I have a topic, uh, you know, why we believe in the Trinity or why we believe in the Bible. And why we believe in the Bible, most of that, three-quarters of it, is a summary just of what the Bible is about. So imagine summarizing the Bible in about 1,200 <laughs> <Yeah>. words. <Yeah. laughs> so that's where you, the difficulty comes in being very economical in your word choice and avoiding jargon, avoiding assuming the reader knows a lot about the subject, and being able to explain it in a clear way without overlooking really key things that are important to our faith. Yeah, and again, you, you did a, a masterful job in them being so short, but again, you you wrote for multiple audiences, and yet you did it you did it effectively. Was that? I, I imagine the rewriting process was was critical in that regard. You had to go back and make sure, okay, it's accessible for someone who's completely unfamiliar with Catholic Christianity. It is, but it's still engaging for for a Catholic, whether maybe whether they be lapsed or if they're an active Catholic. I mean, that's that's a real challenge, I think. Oh, sure. And uh, when I went through the book, I tried to keep that in mind. Like, for example, just saying Catholic, what does that mean? Right. Like, if no one's, if you aren't familiar with that term, it seems very foreign. And then saying, well, it comes from the Greek words kataholos, according yep. to the whole. Catholics are about believing what the Church as a whole, the universal Church, believes, that 
the church teaches and preaches the same thing in all times and all places. So, you know, so just to be aware that it's easy for us to uh, put forward terms. Uh, so, you know, I'm talking about the Eucharist and say the Paschal mystery. Well, this is what Paschal means, talks about Passover, the new Passover. Well, what's that? And, you know, going back to Exodus. So you have to always be mindful of that. But as I was writing and rewriting, it's funny, other books I've written, like my book, Hard Sayings, which is on Bible difficulties, that was a very heavily researched book. I had about 800 citations. I had to dig deep into scholarship for that book. Mm -hmm. This book also took me a long time to write, but more so every chapter, I'm always wordsmithing, always going back over and Mm -hmm. over and over again, looking for is this word going to distract someone? Is this going to seem off-putting to a non-Catholic? And every chapter I actually read aloud to my wife uh, to, to make sure that it was readable and understandable, that sometimes people will write things, and I don't even think they take the time just to read it aloud yep. to see that maybe they've got something that's a little bit unworkable for someone else to read. It's easy to write something and you understand right. it as the author, Absolutely. but the listener or the reader is an entirely different uh, set of conditions. You're, you're a professional Catholic apologist, but did you feel like you came away knowing the faith better after having written this book in maybe a, a, a way that you different than when you've completed other writing projects? Um, I think I came away with a better sense of how to under, how to um, present it to other people that mm-hmm. as an apologist, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we learn different things and we know a lot about different subjects. It's the, the nature of our occupation to explain a lot of different subjects to people. But I think one thing as an apologist, I'm always growing in and my colleagues are always trying to grow in, and I would recommend all Catholics grow in this area, are developing what I would, things that I would call, or that have been called elevator speeches. So it's the idea, like, how do you explain the Trinity? How do you explain uh, why we don't believe in the Bible alone? Or why is sex outside of marriage wrong? But how do you explain that in like 20 seconds, the time it takes to ride in an elevator to someone, just to give them that brief concise overview to, to get them to understand. So writing this book, I may not have learned new information about topics, but I think I really came away with a better understanding of how to present it in a much more concise way that's appealing to a wide variety of people. Yeah, that's awesome. I, one, one, of the other, one of the things that, that, I, that struck me about the book as well was you have these, like, I don't know if they're called gray shaded, they're little boxes, I guess, that are in there. And yeah, and the boxes. The boxes. And the thing that I like about it is my, my son, who graduated from the University of Dallas, is um, lives with and, and knows well an, an atheist. And he always talks about how much he appreciates, you know, talking to him. And the thing that I like about this is this is not like just you have, for example, I'm just going to use this, you know, that in the Why We Believe in the Resurrection, you have a quote that's in there from an atheist admitting that, the evidence is pretty overwhelming that something happened. I mean, and then on purgatory that you actually have a quote from Martin Luther, you know, talking about about how he held to that. So those are, those are like nuggets that are very helpful that are actually showing the other side talking about it. I, you know, my, my son and I always like, I guess God's Not Dead was a movie. And he said, well, that's just, that's, you know, that's not real atheist stuff and it's not real tough situations or tough discussions but here you've got you've thrown in that there are people who are actively maybe against or you would think would be would disagree and you're using their words to at least um further strengthen the the church's position on something oh yes this is uh something that that i really try to do as an apologist and really enjoy teaching others to do i find it to be an excellent uh strategy when presenting the truth of the faith is to use sources uh, to defend the teachings of the church, the sources themselves that might be hostile to what we believe, that will still admit, yes, Catholics are right on X, even if they're wrong on everything else. And so it makes you more likely to trust that, because the person who's, the person who's presenting it... Right. Are you there? Trent, are you there? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well... I, I yes, I am. I am certainly uh, still here. Uh, there's okay. always hustle and bustle at the Catholic Answers Office. There was an apologetics emergency. Okay, <laughs> going to DefCon too. Uh, uh. <laughs> things I try to use. I had to try to go. The the Doomsday Clock went two minutes to midnight. Sitting <laughs> 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 there. Uh, so I try to use these other sources um, 
to to make my case because you say, oh, even these atheists will admit X, and even these um, uh, you know Protestants. I have another quote in there from a Protestant who admits, yeah, we've got problems with the table of contents, contents right? you know, exactly. that we can't even prove the that the Bible, all the books in the Bible belong there. Right. And that makes my case in a, in a more indirect way that a skeptic will say, oh, maybe there is something to what this guy's talking about. Because even these other people admit there's something to what he's talking about. Yeah, and I know we're, we're talking to Trent Horn, everybody, but if you want to hear get more of this, we interviewed Gary Mashuda, who did uh, a book, Hostile Witnesses, which his whole book is basically that approach. And that's also a Catholic Answers publication, so you can go check that out. But that's an excellent apologetics approach. And they're nuggets. That's what I like about the book. I mean, you literally can turn to it, and, and they're little, you know, brought-out nuggets that you can look at and go, oh, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, again, I like that because a lot of times I think my oldest son, when, when he's talked about it, he says so much of the stuff that's out there is just all – everything is right. There's no discussion of what the other view is or what the other side is. Now, whether that's true or not, I could, we could debate, <laughs> but, but his perception of it is probably because he comes from a home that's always, you know, Catholic, um, that he doesn't see that we actually recognize that there are other, other people out there, but I think it's very strong suit and it's something that's easily accessible again. So anyway. Hey Trent, the little bit of time we've got you here for about, uh, Ten more minutes. Um, could you give us a, give us a couple elevator speeches on uh, a few of these chapters? Would you mind Would you mind doing that for our listeners so they can get a taste of of what's in the book? I will. I will do my best. Uh, is there a <laughs> subject you have an interest in hearing an elevator speech on? But I will. How about, how about I'll do my best yeah. to condense. Them. How about on e- on your on evil and no, what a, evil is? Sure. Um, some people think that evil proves that God does not exist, because if there was a God, why is there so much evil? But how do we define evil? The only thing that makes sense, it can't just be pain or suffering, because, for example, if a criminal goes to jail, he suffers, but that's not evil. Evil, rather, is the way things should not be. Blindness, genocide, uh, murder, we say that's not the way things are supposed to be. But if things are not supposed to be a certain way, and we call that evil, then good must refer to the way things are supposed to be. But if things are supposed to be a certain way, then atheism can't be true, because if atheism were true, the universe would be an accident. It wouldn't, it's not supposed to be a certain way. Right. So the existence of evil, far from disproving God, actually shows there's a cosmic plan for the universe. And if that's the case, then there's a cosmic planner or a God who created it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I, I I love that is so great that you can do that, and it should be a challenge to all of us that we should be able to articulate things that well. But uh, did you have one, Thaddeus? Other other one that you? Um, yeah, I wanted to give us give us the why do we why is there truth? Why do Catholics believe that there's objective truth? Catholics believe there's objective truth uh, because Catholics believe that the world exists. And there's a way to describe the way the world is. In fact, all people believe that there is truth. Even people who say there's no such thing as truth, they believe the world exists, and in that world, there is no such thing as truth. But of course, that's a contradiction. They're saying it's true, there is no truth. So Catholics simply believe what everyone else does, that truth or an accurate description of the world really does exist, and we believe that our worldview most accurately describes the way the world is that God created. Wow, awesome, yeah. Well, there's one thing in getting past the, these. I think all of us should be challenged. I think your book does a great job because I hear a lot of the arguments. I mean, you articulate them. They're actually included in, in these chapters. So you could always go get the podcast and listen to this, but get the book, Why We're Catholic. Um and, and the things he just said are, are in those chapters, which are very helpful. But one of the things I wanted to get to, because I love the way you end this, and it's something that I think is, is, is something I struggle with as a, as a cradle Catholic going forward, um, and that it's something that I recognize sometimes in my kids, is this idea that the church is a, and this is not a, I'm not needing an elevator speech on this, I want your, your comment on it and, and on how to sure. get this across, is that the Catholic Church is a bunch of rules, but really why you yeah. became Catholic is because 
you fell in love with a person, you felt it was it's out of joy, and those rules are part of that. How how do you help people with that? Because I think really when I look at it, I think probably the biggest struggle that I get. I had our discussion with my daughter today about not her not going. She's sixteen, and she asked me for my opinion on a movie, and I said, "Well, my opinion is I don't think you should be going to see it." And you go you go through that, and there's rules, and she said, "Well, all the other parents they don't care," and I'm like, "Well, well, I do. You asked me. I'm telling you, um, you do not have my permission," and. And so it's perceived by their friends as, well, there's the Cashins again with, with a rule, <laughs> but it's out, of, it's out of love. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. The problem here, I think, is people think that the Church has arbitrary rules, that the rules are simply meant to yes. stifle us, to control us, and they don't serve any kind of useful purpose. Uh, but in any relationship, and you were alluding to this very correctly, in any kind of relationship one has with a person, there's going to be an implicit set of rules in how we relate to that person. I mean, you could ask your son or daughter, tell me what it means to be a good friend. How, right. how are you a good friend to someone? Well, naturally, that involves things you ought to do, like offer to help your friend, to be available to confide to them, uh, spend time with them. But it'll also clu- include a fair number of things you should not do. Uh, don't talk about this person behind their back. Uh, don't use them merely as an ends, like you hang out with them because they help you get a better score on a math exam or things like this. And you could probably, if you sat down and meticulously wrote them out, come up with hundreds of rules of don't right. do this in order to be a good friend. But we understand that, well, we don't obsess about it because we want that friendship and the friendship is a good thing and the rules don't bother us because the end is so good. So likewise, with our faith to grow closer to God, there'll be ways we ought to live that will help us achieve that end. So I think it's important when we're saying things like, well, why can't I go to this movie? It's not just, well, because I said so. Right. It's because I love you, and I want the best for you, and I don't want anything that will harm you. Uh, now, this film, for example, uh, you know, if you see a film like this, uh, even if you don't intend to, it might you know, encourage you to use bad language more. Uh, it might uh, cause you to think that you know, sex is not really a big deal if you see you know, really gratuitous violence or, or right. nudity and sexuality that's, you know, gratuitous in this film, uh, it'll make you less able to really enjoy those things. And so you can say, and I want you to enjoy those things to their fullest. And so, and of course, it's different based on their age and, and this or that right. um, to say, you know, so to always couch it as uh, I love you and want the best for you. And that's why God gave us the natural law, that it comes from our human nature. If we live the way we ought to live, we will be happy. And when we break the natural law, we're not breaking arbitrary rules. We're acting in a way against our own good, and we'll pay for it, and we will suffer the consequences of that in one way or another. Right. I think that's great. I mean, you, you echo what, what I've just learned from doing it is we, were, we started this mystery of parenthood, and, and as a parent of now, you know, 22 to 16-year-old kids, I see that that's exactly it. The rules, parents really have to make an effort to connect a rule with not just a moral reason why, but that the moral reason is actually for their benefit. It's not. And one of yeah. the things that I've, that I've did before that, that helped me was when we had uh, my son, when he was younger, having trouble with too much time on the, on the video games or whatever, and, and he was you know 15 or 16, and we would get into discussion and he said, why don't you just leave me alone and let me go do that? And I said, well, you ought to ask yourself that question. <laughs> I mean, why don't I leave you alone? The easiest thing for me to do is to go to bed. That's it. So ask that question. And I find if you turn that around and you frame the rules in that, in that way that all of a sudden you catch them a little bit off guard, it's kind of like some of, your, some of those little blocks in there that you're like, oh, wow, there's an atheist saying that, or, wow, that's Martin Luther saying that. Um, sometimes you have to have a little bit of a twist to say, look, you, you need to ask yourself that. I, I'm ashamed to say that uh, one of the ones that we talk about the truth is we the old uh, American Idol show, you know, the, particularly the early on shows, we tell the kids, now, which, which parent loves their child? <laughs> is it the parent that you just heard them sing and they're awful and <laughs> they're walking out and they've said, no, you're not going to make it, and the mom's saying, no, you're going to be the next star, you know, is, is that person loving them or is that mom helping them out? Or would you rather me say, you know what, you're pretty bad at that. So anyway. Or to say, you know, and then to say that um, maybe in that case, something like, well, 
every, you know, people have different gifts. Yes, right. Uh, maybe there's some, maybe there is something else that is a gift that people will automatically see yes. in you. That's something you'll enjoy and be able to do, or to be able to do something just because you enjoy it. But right. even not going, you know, understanding that it's, it's for hobby, not for a pursuit of some kind of competitive goal. But right. yeah, no, you're right. I love that saying though. Like when your, your son says, well, why don't you just leave me alone? And thinking just like, well, we'll think about this from, from your perspective. If, if I, you know, you don't want me to play video games and you're doing all this because you don't love me, you don't care about me. Well, if I really didn't like you, why, why would I bother talking to you at all? You know? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's lots of people, your, your children don't like or don't care for, and they don't try to control them. They just ignore them. Exactly. That's a, but I think that's, that's great. But I love, I know we're coming up here to the end and, and I, I'm, would highly recommend for anybody that, um, well, everybody to, li- to this book would be helpful. Why we're Catholic, and we get it through Catholic.com. And yeah, Trent, tell the listeners one more time how they can get the bolt copies and and the details around that. Yeah, the bolt copies are three dollars a copy, so it's a case of twenty books for sixty dollars. Uh, they can get that at shop.catholic.com, or you can order a a single book for about nine for nine ninety five at least at this time. Uh, at shop.catholic.com, and it's also available in an ebook format. Oh wow! Okay, awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you've you've got to go, and um, but I really appreciate it. And and keep up the good work. And um, I always, like I said, I'm I'm glad I'm getting a chance to talk to you directly. Um, I'll be listening to you on Catholic Answers next time you're on. But anyway, thank you so much, Trent, for being on and making time today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I would enjoy coming back anytime. We'd love it. Thank you, Trent. Bye-bye. Thanks, Trent. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. The great Trent Horn, folks. The great Trent Horn, folks. Yes, he's, he, uh, like I said, you you hear his voice so frequently on the, on the radio and it's, it's funny to, to listen, but, um, I really think this book, it's really just every, I, I mean, I couldn't, as I went through it, I didn't see anything that was missing. It seemed like, oh yeah, that is a problem. You know, oh yeah, this is something that I've heard before. Or, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I don't. I mean, I, that's why I think it's really worth. It's more like a. It's not like an encyclopedia, but it's it's a. It can be a resource. I think it's a could, handbook almost. It's a handbook. You could read through this book. I mean, you could read it like a book from cover to cover, and it flows like that. But I think also it's just something you could pick up and and say, hey, my kid asked this, or there's a friend at work that asked me about that. And literally in 15 minutes, uh, in 15 minutes, read and have an argument, you know, have even maybe some questions that they're going to have. Yep. So you, it's, it's, in, it's, it's five the kind or six of book pages. You could, you could keep in your briefcase and go to it first if you see something yes. that you want to jog your mind about rather than searching for it via the, Google. It's more efficient to, to go to this because the way it's topically organized, the way the chapters are named. Yes. You can go right to the chapter that fits with the question or the... Yeah, why we believe in the resurrection? Did Jesus really, you know, what is the Trinity? I mean, and, and the thing that I like most about it is, having had the the theological training, he really gets it down to where, oh, I can see that analogy. Mm-hmm. And there are analogies that I had, some, many of them are in, in stories that I had not ever heard. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that we all could put it in our toolkit... His explanation for evil was was outstanding. outstanding, and a new one. I had not heard that. I had not heard that one before. Yeah, and then and he he goes to great lengths on that. And while I have heard it, you know, sometimes you hear it again. It made more sense to me actually reading reading it. And we need to understand that as Catholics. That's the other thing. The elevator speeches are are really in here because they're a little bit more than elevator speech. Sure, sure. But but the nuggets are in are in the book. I just. I would highly recommend for um, for parents to have it and and to use it. Um, I'm thinking about honestly with my oldest son, giving it to him, and then my oldest son, Uh-oh. my son, my son here, he wanted like a Bible study and just saying, "Hey, pick one of these chapters and let's just let's just read it together and then go through what else comes, and then we can you know you can teach them and teach ourselves. Hey, yeah, we can go. He, he quotes. Maybe it's the catechism we got to go look. Let's go pull up the 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 the, the uh, sections of the catechism that deal with this that he references here. Or how about the Bible verses? Let's go read those. And I just think it's a it's a good kind of a 
they're, they're nugget-like enough that you can digest them relatively quickly, and if there is a rabbit trail to chase or if there's something on it, you have enough information in terms of, like, footnotes and those type of things that you can go yeah. and say, okay, let's go look at this and dig deeper. Right. And maybe you don't dig deeper. Maybe it's it suffices, uh, whatever it is. But, I, again, I think it's a it's something that parents should. In your experience, have. what do you think is the youngest age of a child that could probably start reading this? You know, I mean, I think it would depend on, depend on the child. I sure. can't imagine – I can't imagine more than – I mean, younger than ten. I mean, I think that'd be pretty, pretty young. You might find you might find kids that are eight that that would have would have that. The words aren't real big. I mean, it's not like that. But I mean, the concepts are. Would you want a ten-year-old reading the chapters on marriage yeah, and, and sexuality? You got to do that prudently. You have to. You would have to. You'd have to kind of maybe pull one out, pull out a section, or or say just read this. Um, but. But I think that I think that it's a tool. The other thing is, is that you don't have to give this to your your child. You could pull out something and, yeah. and just discuss it. Um, I think for my soon to be eighteen year old, almost any oh, well, definitely. all all the topics in here are things that we've talked about or things that they've questioned. Oh, but I've I've found for me, all of these things, all of the topics that are in here, what I recognize is okay. There, these are ones that I really know. And that were really impactful on me, or things that changed my mind, or mm-hmm. redirected me, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, there's those that I know other people really, and I'm like, I just skip over that. It just doesn't it doesn't yeah. do yeah. anything for me. Yeah. But you don't know what your kid, where your child is going to be, and you don't know which one of those is going to be the one that. Oh, that's that's the entry point. That's the one that God has. That's the thing that's really stirring in my head or in my heart. I want to know that. For me, it's not as easy to answer that question because it wasn't something I poured over. But this provides a really brief, you know, 10, 15-minute read max on a topic that you can read, that you could have the, the other child read, and, and, and it be a discussion point. Mm-hmm. And I have, that's valuable. That's hard to find, I think. I mean, I'm not aware of... Too many other places. I mean, you could certainly could pick up the morality section of the catechism right. and read it, or a particular part of morality and read it. Right. Or, but this will come across because of its examples, because right. it's, its use of the vernacular and regular everyday language is something that is more digestible. It's a primer. It's a primer on Catholicism. It, right. It takes all the most essential and important elements of the faith and presents them kind of in their entirety, but not in their full depth and complexity. Right. And it, but it gets you started. And, and, and that's the great thing. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't hold off. It, it doesn't, it doesn't diminish the truth. Right. It, it expresses the truth in its fullness on a particular topic, but it does it in a way that would really beg maybe more diving in on uh, if you had it and even provides it because of the footnotes and stuff that you have, you know, in the back where they, where they're getting it, that you could go look or, you know, as C.S. Lewis here. I mean, they're all identified as where they are. I think, I think those are things that are, that you could, Hey, say, look, Hey, this is how you discover what's the truth. What's the argument, you know, but the reality is you've got to get, it's not just knowing and it's not just winning an argument. It's somehow getting, you know, what's up here in our head, down to our heart in a way that we recognize that, yeah, this is true, but it's because God loves me so much, it's true, and hopefully you fall in love more as a result of it. I, I, the only danger I have, which is it's not a danger, is that some people think that this apologetics is about winning an argument, right. you know, about me having the best arguments and, well, you're stupid and, and I'm smart now. Which I think is opening story is really critical for yes waking you up to that that it's it's not it's not about that and it's a marathon not a not yeah. a not a sprint and that's yeah. even with children um you know most most kids if they're raised in a in a in a catholic family that does everything you know kind of the way it's supposed to be 
the kids just assume that everything's true. There's a point at which when they go out into the world where they're going to begin to be challenged. And somebody's going to make an argument that maybe challenges them in a way that, well, that's, that does, that kind of makes sense. We have to be willing to kind of, instead of just shooting down something that maybe is that recognize that as we've got to not just come up with the answer. We got to get them to understand why that's not the best answer. We got to get them to understand how to articulate it. And then we got to even extend beyond that and say, okay, we need to arm them so that they can go back to the person modeled appropriately out of love and concern for the other person. And not say, Hey, here's my answer. Boom, boom, boom. See, <laughs> not that way, but yeah. more of more in a conversation and a dialogue. And so it's just a process, I think. And this book helps is one of those things that can help us with that. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. did you have anything else? Or? Um, yeah, I, I just think that um, another positive of the, of the book is it's arranged, the chapters are arranged in a building blocks from most essential to the last things. Right. But it's also, the chapters are, again, like I said, titled very plainly so you can jump to, yes. and e- each chapter is really pretty much a self-contained right. almost essay on that topic. It it builds somewhat, but not not completely on everything else. So it's, yeah, no, I think I've, that's a, that's a, that's great. Cause you can pick it up and just look at it and pick or pick a topic. So anyway, um, thanks for listening. I hope it was helpful. Go get the book. Why we're Catholic, our reasons for faith, hope, and love by Trent Horn. And always remember uh, parent with purpose, pray <laughs> parent with purpose and prepare for God to amaze you. God bless you guys. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio. Tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood.